Life is full of surprises. You never know what treasure lies in tomorrow. If you put the word out to your close friends or your family members, you might at a barbecue run into somebody that says, hey, your cousin was telling me that you're interested in investing in real estate. I've been investing in real estate. I have a few classes. What do you want to know? And it could be that one conversation that leads you on that path. Make sure that you get what's important to you out of the public because people generally care about other people, especially if you're being honest and sincere. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom Podcast. Our guest today is David Tift. He has been a successful investor and realtor for almost two decades. He's traveled the world and has created a life where he has the freedom to enjoy his love of the great outdoors. In this episode, we will be discussing ways to break into the real estate business, determining what your goals are versus just working to work, achieving a healthy balance between work and free time, and much, much more. Please remember to subscribe, share, like, and write us a quick review. We appreciate you helping us spread the word about the Find Your Freedom podcast. Welcome to the show, David. We're stoked to have you on today. All right, welcome, David, to the Find Your Freedom podcast. Stoked to have you with us today. Yo, 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 David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? So good. Feeling great. Let's uh, let's jump right in here. So, um, David, for those that don't know you, you have found uh, success as both a realtor and as an investor. I think many realtors learned that unless they build out a brokerage office or use their skills to start investing, mm -hmm. it's really difficult to build wealth and achieve financial freedom. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk us through kind of how you got into both and, and um, how did you get started in, in both investing and working as a realtor? Well, I'll say that uh, that's probably the path of least resistance, especially if you don't have wealth to start investing in real estate, residential real estate right away. Um, I, I did it backwards. I started in commercial real estate as an analyst, and then a terrible recession hit in 2000, where we had the highest unemployment. I ended up working on a couple of horse ranches, working on a ski mountain, washing dishes. Got burned out with that shit, and I found somebody who would train me how to buy and sell houses. So I worked for about two years for somebody, getting just terrible pay. But uh, I focused my mindset so that it was like, I treated it like it was a master's program. I was like, you know what? I can live on 30,000 bucks a year right now. But when the day comes, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to make some real wealth. So this was like an apprenticeship? And no, it was a job. I was a, I was a professional bird dog and I was a trainer of uh, investment real estate. Particularly, I trained about 150 realtors from Seattle down to Phoenix. I taught them how to do short sales. I taught them how to buy foreclosure auctions. I taught them how to do, you know, purchase on contracts, reinstatement deals. Um, and so I, I was like, you know, 23 years old, working 70 hours a week. Wow. Uh, just really wanted to pull myself out of poverty because that really stuck. <laughs> I didn't want to feel that way again. I was like a month away from living in my car. So wow. can you put yourself back in that situation? I think it's really um, interesting for the audience to hear the start of a lot of these things. And it sounds like uh, you had the mindset that you knew you were learning, learning something valuable and you thought that if you really applied yourself and became an expert in it, that you would be able to have the tools. Can you put yourself back in that situation and kind of talk, talk our audience through what you were thinking, kind of what you were really doing and, um, and then how you applied that over the next few years? I think my success in my kind of real world business education came out of necessity. And I, you know, that old adage, it's either the stick or the carrot that drives us, right? In my life, it's typically been the stick. 
And uh, I had a I had a pretty I had a good education and I had a pretty cushy job. I didn't like it. Um, I left. The economy crashed, and I got to kind of go do some really um, just non traditional, not planning a career type jobs. Worked on a horse ranch. Worked on a old homestead ranch about forty thousand acres, pulling barbed wire fence. Lived in a trailer for seven months in a town of 60 people. Went into town every two weeks for food. And then I migrated to uh, North Idaho to another little ski resort town. I worked at the ski mountain. I washed dishes. I worked on Snowy River Ranch. Um, it was a, it was like a breath of fresh air because I think when you get out of college, you really don't know what the world looks like. You don't know how to behave or what the expectations are socially or professionally in a, in a corporate environment. Um, and I found out pretty quick that this just wasn't really cut out for me. Sitting at a desk every day uh, really wasn't wasn't for me. So even in that very first job, I, I figured out a way to get out of the office. And I made myself the regional inspector. So I would inspect commercial properties from North Idaho, Spokane, Olympia, Washington, all the way down to Southern Oregon. Um, but I, I just I didn't see it going anywhere. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I got so miserable, I just put in my notice and left. And lucky me, someone said, hey, we just bought this 40,000-acre ranch that's been a derelict for like 60 years. Do you want to go live out there? And I said, yeah, I'll be a cowboy. That sounds great. Maybe Yellowstone. <laughs> so, you know, there's, a, there's a little bit, uh, or maybe a lot, that kind of just seeing where life takes you. Um, and you know when it's time to, you kind of know, when it's time to get serious and make some money. When did you hang up your hang up those cowboy boots and yeah and uh, make that turn and shift into the real estate? Like, who did you meet and how did you how did you start that part of your path? Well, when I was in college, in my senior year, I was a property inspector, right? And I inspected property in the state of Oregon uh, for a company out of Portland, and that led into this commercial real estate job. This guy was also a very successful commercial real estate broker. And um, my best friend growing up, his dad was a very wealthy real estate investor, still is. The kids are very well-to-do. And when I was maybe 19 and 20 and going to college, I lived with them in their mansion on the Willamette River. And his dad would take me to city planning meetings. And his dad would take me to go look at their property and uh, meet the leasing agents. And I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, but... It was kind of a nice soft entry into like adult business. Like, you know, everybody's people. Some people cook food. Some people have sky rises. So that was the early exposure. That was the early exposure. I knew I could do it. And I, I had I had my friend's father who was really a mentor and kind of a parent figure for me. And he, he kind of reassured me that I could do whatever I wanted and that this was a good path if, if you were interested in it. And I set it down a couple of times in my career. But, um, you know, looking back... Looking back on uh, on my, my career path, you know, I've groveled about some things in the past and had kind of a love-hate relationship with it. But I would say in my mid-40s and having been in real estate for like four or plus 22 years, it's been a really interesting path of self-discovery. Yeah. And I think that would be a really good lead into what entrepreneurship is in, in my eyes. I believe that entrepreneurship is a path to self-discovery. There are many paths, but um, if you want to find out what you're made of, being a proprietor of a business will flush out your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, your ability to adapt, to change, 
you know, it'll test you. And it'll show you, it'll show you, it'll teach you a lot about people, people you work with, Absolutely. clients you have. Um, and I think that's probably been like the, the greatest aspect of being self-employed for the most of the last 22 years. Could you give us, could you give us a couple of quick recommendations uh, for listeners who are looking at, okay, I know I want to go into this thing called real estate, but as you said, there's a lot of different paths within real estate. Um, you're two that, that you've taken on and, and done, had a lot of success in or as a realtor and also as an investor. Um, what recommendations would you have for, for those two paths within the real estate business? Well, I think very few people have the, the capacity to get right out of college and jump into being a real estate salesperson that's any good or being an investor. I think uh, I'm a big, big advocate of, you know, having people you can rely on, having teachers, having mentors um, and getting educated. I had no plans to be a residential real estate broker. Uh, but when I got out of college, I realized that I needed to learn this lingo. You know, I was reviewing uh, commercial real estate documents and there were words that I just didn't understand. So I went and got my, my Oregon real estate license in 2000. Um, and that gave me a language that gave me some understanding. And then I just kept my eyes open and saw what people were doing that I thought might be good for, for me, what might feel good, what I might have some natural ability in. And then I really kind of refined it down to who do I feel comfortable with? You know, who do I feel like I can be stupid to correct and talk to and say like, Hey, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I know I don't want to be working at the Waffle House much longer. Or I know I don't want to be in a cubicle, you know, making millions of dollars for this guy. Can you, you know, just talk to me? And you do that enough and you'll find people who really want to forward you, you know, advance you. Can you go through a little bit of the investment advice or professional advice that you felt was most valuable for you in that period? Yeah, you know, my dad gave me, my dad's given me a bunch of advice over my life. And some of it I've decided isn't for me. <laughs> but one of the things he told me that always stuck with me and I think if you've known me for any length of time or been in a, uh, any kind of business with me or nonprofit work with me, you realize that I'm really sincere. Like I don't pretend to know everything. And I've worked for companies that have had agendas or processes that I didn't really agree with or feel natural following. And so my dad told me early on, always sell yourself before you sell your company. And so that's kept me really grounded in, in who I am. And it makes me comfortable, and I believe that that resonates in conversation with people. Um, I don't want to put anybody in a bad spot, you know, not for a commission or a paycheck. I like to listen more than I like to talk, and I like to see if there's really a, some service that I can offer somebody. So um, for those young people who are just starting out or for the folks that are in a job and they aspire to be entrepreneurs, I would just encourage them not to be too hard on themselves, to be sincere. Um, and to go connect with people you feel comfortable with, you know, take the mask off. Don't pretend to be some, you know, someone you're not. Where are some places, David, that, sorry to jump in there, but where are some places that you feel are, um, you know, rich with the type of, uh, people that, you know, um, up and comers can, can go out, yeah. um, and meet some of the, the types of mentors and, and people that will inf have influence and impact on their careers? Well, um, when I first started out and I was already flipping a few properties, but I realized I wasn't being, I wasn't too good at it. Um, I went to the, 
Portland real estate, there's a Portland real estate group that would meet like once a month. And there'd be, you know, 50, 70 people in there. And you go to a room, whether it be a hotel lobby or a work conference, you kind of are attracted to certain people. It kind of happens if you put in the time. So I would just go there with an open mind and just share who I was, uh, even though it you know, didn't seem like much at the time, and ask if I could help. I did, uh, you know, I did a bunch of work for people for free, you know, just like, hey, can I tag along with you? Can you show me what you're doing? Can I run out there and take photos for you? Uh, what's your business look like? Oh, really? You have someone drive around and look at properties? Maybe I could do that for you. I'll, I'll do it for you for a week. How's that sound? You know, and so um, I think just putting yourself out there and not being vulnerable and having some faith that people generally want to help other people, you know, especially the kind you want to connect with if you're starting out. Um, you know, you don't want to, you, you got to have some, some sense about you. You don't want to be taken advantage of. But, um, you know, I think that people have a natural intuition most of the time if this is something they want to, some, if this is someone who wants to help them out and forward them. Yeah, I think you hit on an important one there, kind of offering offering your services before you have a lot of, experience and track record it, it, it's just hey what can i come and, and do for you what kind of value can i add if it's working for free or working for little in the beginning you're gaining you're investing in yourself and gaining experience and knowledge just you know by offering to do the work that maybe um other people aren't willing to do yeah i love that i think that's super valuable for our listeners can you go a little bit more into the detail of what you do now and uh maybe talk about what you've done the last few years I've been a residential real estate broker. I've done a little bit of commercial, which I have a background in it. Um, but I really just focus on residential real estate. I'm mostly a listing agent or an agent who sells property for homeowners. Um, my business is mostly business to business. I have two big corporate clients. One's a state agency and the other is an asset management company. Um, I would say that that makes up about 70, 65, 70% of what I do. I get referrals. I've never done any marketing for myself. It's really just been, you know, putting in the hours every week and talking to people and uh, talking to attorneys. My business for a long time was representing a lot of attorneys, probate attorneys, bankruptcy attorneys, uh, real estate attorneys. And um, that's just kind of kept me going. You know, there was a time where I was super ambitious and trying to build wealth and, uh, and, and, you know, I had some success at that, but uh, the last, well, I don't know, maybe eight years, it's really been just, this is my job. I know how it operates. I do a great job for people. I make sure that um, it's supporting the lifestyle that I want. What changed your, um, your focus there, David? It sounds like you said at one point it was about amassing wealth and growing your wealth. And then one day you kind of said, maybe it's not about that for me. Maybe I just want to make enough to, yeah. you know, enjoy my, enjoy my time on this. Well, I think it was a few things, Doug. I think uh, one thing that's happened was burnout. You know, I got really obsessively working. Um, and I'd like to talk about some of the mistakes that I made when I was running my investment real estate company. Yeah, please. Here in a second. Uh, the other thing was just maturity. I think, uh, you know, I ask a lot of young people. I was I started a nonprofit. I was on the board of another nonprofit. It was aimed at getting kids out to the outdoors, and um, and I have nieces and nephews, and I talk to them and friends' kids about you know what do you want to do when you grow up? And I find like more than half the time the default answer is I want to make a lot of money, <laughs> and I kind of 
kind of makes me sad, to be honest with you. Like money is a, a result of your success, if, if that's what you're striving for. But it can't be the sole purpose for going to work every day. Um, and I realized that early on. Like I had more money than any of my friends in my 20s. And I was traveling around the world. Oh, look, Machu Picchu, that looks great. Let's learn some Spanish and go to Peru. Um, I bounced around the planet a few times and had a great time. Um, and that was kind of my reward for getting out of poverty and being successful. Um, but at some point, I started kind of having that quest for meaning. Like, what am I doing here? You know, I, I, know, how to, I know how to make money. I know what a deal looks like. It's just numbers got to work and things got to line up and it's got to feel right. And hope for the best. And so uh, maybe... Maybe after I was working with you, Doug, uh, and I had exposure, face-to-face -face exposure with literally thousands of people who were in bad situations, um, it really, it really kind of flushed out my heart and, and what I'm about. And uh, so, you know, what drives me now isn't money. It's about doing a good job, but it's more about helping people. And, you know, I'm not a professional psychologist or, um, you know, some guru, but I'm a good listener and I like to bring perspective to people's situation. And I also don't like to assume that I am the answer to everybody's problem. But uh, I think um, I think burnout is what made me set down my business. That and the economy crash in 2008. <laughs> it's like, I'm not buying any more houses. It's crazy. No one's buying. If you're enjoying this podcast, we really appreciate you listening. Please take a second to like, subscribe, and follow, and share your favorite episode of Find Your Freedom with an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Now back to the show. Speaking to these young people that you were, that you were just referring to, and they're getting mm -hmm. out of college, can you go back to what some of those lessons were that you think um, would be valuable for them to hear? Yeah, I would say uh, relax for one thing. Just fucking relax. Like you're not in a race. I know you have college loans. I know housing is expensive. Take your time. Figure out what you want. It's okay if that doesn't happen this year. You know, pay your bills and just compartmentalize it in your mind that like this isn't forever. I'm on year 21. I'm probably going to be here for another 70 years, right? Um, how do I want to grow this plant? You know, how do I want to grow and uh, figure out how I want to pay for myself for this through this journey? Okay, because that's really what it comes down to. And you really don't realize it when you're desperate and you're hustling and you want the new car and, you know, all the superficial things when you're young. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would just, you know, something that I learned much later in, in, in life was know your values. And I'm not talking about moral morals and ethics. I'm talking about, like, what do you value? Like, you were telling me that you wanted to start a family. Bam, you figured it out. You're on this path and you're like, I really want to have a family. I want that to be part of my life experience. How do I do that? And then you started making moves to create a family life and be the father that you wanted. That's awesome. So kind of start with the end in mind. So I think a lot of people just go, you know, I want to, I got to work, work, work. I got to hustle. Let me just run out here and do a bunch of activity as opposed to kind of take, taking a step back and thinking, you know, what do I really want? Yeah, and everybody's different. There are young people that are deep thinkers and young people who have excellent mental clarity and emotional intelligence. And there are some people that are just kind of floundering and they don't 
really know what's going on. But you know, whatever their situation is, just don't be hard on yourself. Be patient. Uh, check in with yourself as much as possible. That can mean having a mentor. That can mean having a counselor. That can mean just getting more comfortable talking uh, to your best friend. Um, just whatever's in here, we need to get out in front of you. Otherwise, it'll drive you crazy. So talk about it. Journal about it. Start a podcast. Do whatever. You got to know what's happening in here because there's so much happening in here. It's just ping, 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 ping. You know, I have a million thoughts in a day. And so the really important ones I put on paper. And then I make sure that that ad gets looked at every day and usually multiple times a day. And some of those thoughts will turn into goals, you know, and then you build your focus around. I think that's super valuable. I think one of the things that we've talked about a few times in the podcast is, you know, how do you want to design your life? What are your values? What are your priorities? You have to put yourself in a situation that you're able to live those things. Um, You know, I look back through my old computer hard drives and, you know, when you're transferring computers, you're doing things. And I find notes, um, you know, of myself from, you know, 15, 20 years ago of the challenges I was going through in that period. And, um, you know, I think that when you look back on those things, it can really um, have a significant impact on your your current self because you're able to s- sort of reflect on what experiences and challenges you've gone through and how you've come out the other side. I think one thing that um, might be a little hard for our listeners to uh, comprehend from what you're saying about the when you're getting out of college or when you're younger, slow down. But you also were talking about how that um, the drive you had when you were younger from the poverty and from you know wanting to get yourself in a in a better situation, they're feel sitting in that situation right now, you know, with the debt or w- whatever their background is, and they have the drive like you had. When when you were younger and you you still have now, but it's more of a you know you're already able to relax on it. Um, they want to get to your situation. How do you recommend them get to that situation without utilizing that drive to grind and do all the things that you had to do to get where you are now? Mm-hmm. Communicate to the people you care about. Tell them what's on your mind. Tell them where you want to be, because life is full of surprises. You never know what treasure lies in tomorrow. And uh, if you put the word out to your close friends or your family members, you might at a barbecue run into somebody that says, hey, your cousin was telling me that you're interested in investing in real estate. I've been investing in real estate. I have a few flexes. What do you want to know? And it could be that one conversation that leads you on that path. So don't don't hide from what you, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about what you don't know. Just make sure that you get your... Um, Make sure that you get what's important to you out into the public because people generally care about other people, especially if you're being honest and sincere. You know, I think it's really helpful. That's been, that's been good. That, that was good for me when I got started, and it still serves me today. When I'm feeling overwhelmed or some anxiety, or I realize I really don't know how to value this, re- this restaurant out in an industrial area, I will call some people, and they'll usually call some people for me. And they'll walk me through it. So, and then I always offer to reciprocate. Hey, let me know if I can do anything for you. Or how about we split the, the income on this? Or, you know, and the important thing is to just keep learning and to keep believing in yourself um, and to show up. You know, don't, don't let yourself get overwhelmed. That's great. Yeah, what I'm kind of taking from it too, David, is, uh, you know, people sometimes feeling like 
that they have to go it on their own instead of realizing you build your network. I think that's a huge mistake, and I did that. Yeah. I, it turned me into a workaholic is what it did because I was paying the bills and doing the marketing and, uh, you know, do, I was the sales guy. I was doing everything, and it was exhausting. And I had success with it, but I was fucking burned out, and it affected my relationships. And so, luckily, a couple of people came to me and wanted to work with me, and they're now friends, and one of them I still work with. Um, and we kind of just, we divided the responsibilities, and, and uh, we had a good run at it. I feel like that's kind of the entrepreneur's trap sometimes, you know, you go into this sole proprietorship mode and yeah. you wear 18 different hats and mm. you know, that's kind of how you have to start. I feel like a lot of times, um, but as you develop, you know, hopefully you can more quickly, um, you know, get a, get a team together, potentially partner up with somebody else who brings complementary skills. And I think Jonathan's probably the, the best fit to kind of talk about, you know, putting people in place to remove yourself as a bottleneck. John, you want to speak to that at all? I know that's kind of your specialty. Yeah, I think that I got really fortunate to have started in a corporate background where you, you know, are kind of forced to build out teams and create a culture um, of, of support as I was going up through the hotel. And so when I did start my own entrepreneur um, um, job, it, it was really natural for me to create a team, create a culture, and then have them doing the things that I didn't want to do, but I could still oversee them. So we really built a majority of our companies by hiring good people, making sure that they knew how we wanted to have it done, and then removing ourselves um, of the bottleneck of communication. So once they grew, once we built up the trust, we could kind of step away, and now we we're able to watch from afar. We're CC'd on all the emails um, and jumping in when necessary. But most of our businesses now run with really smart people that are super talented, um, and they really just fit into the um, structures and the systems that we had built. Um, and, it, and it's been really um, exciting because they get lots of opportunity and learnings and growth, um, and we're able to you know expand ourselves to do other things. You know, now I have more time to do the nonprofit um, for the orphanage in Haiti that we work on. And we have this new challenge of the podcast that we wanted to start. And I'm able to spend time with my children. Um, and, and one of the things that David referred to earlier is that all happened from thinking about what was my priorities and how do I want to design my work life to fit these other things that are really important to me at this point. Um, but I'd be remiss at, uh, uh, of dismissing the fact that I did grind and did the workaholic thing that David did <laughs> for a long period. And I don't think I would have the skill set um, of being able to, to do all those things if I didn't go through that 10-year period of my life um, to learn those skills and grind, those, um, uh, grind through it. So how do you connect those two worlds, David, where you're, you're where you are because you grinded and got this you know, tremendous skill set and connections and network, um, and now you're here? How do you tell the people, uh, you know, you should be here and be clear-headed um, how do they get to that point without the grind, without learning the skills, without being an expert? Once you're uh, in a, a business or an industry for a while, you can see the different players. You can see who's the CEO or who's the angel investor, who's the analyst, who's the bird dog, who's the sales guy, who's doing the accounting. So, you know, kind of look at your 
look at the environment that you're, that you're in, like a theater, and figure out which actor would you like to play? <laughs> Honestly, like I've known sales guys who have had opportunities to manage, you know, or start their own companies, and they love being sales guys. Maybe they love the flexibility about it. Maybe they love chatting it up with everybody. I don't know. Um, but you don't have to always be in charge. Um, I think uh, I think there's a couple of, I mean, I think you can be an entrepreneur without being the boss as well. Like a team or a partnership is a perfect example. You know, it's kind of like a, a marriage, like their responsibilities of a husband and responsibility of partners, right? So um, how do you get from one spot to the other? I think that that's that grinding period is your education. For me, I called it my master's degree. I wasn't going to go back to school. But I was like, this is my real world master's degree. And I'm going to take it seriously. And I took it dead seriously. And I learned a lot. And in one year, I was training 150 real estate brokers across the West Coast. After one year of training? Yeah. And then a year later, I realized that if I didn't get uh, a piece of the action, a pay, pay raise, that I was going to take it on the road. <laughs> and so I took it on the road. And I did well. <laughs> and... Um, even today, like, um, hmm. like I feel like I'm part of the team. Like, when I send emails out to title and escrow, my escrow team, and I send emails out to my analyst, my bird dog guy, and my marketing person, it's team. How you doing? Like, I don't pretend I'm in charge. I pretend I, I like to think that we're doing something together. That's awesome. Um, so you you kind of figure out you kind of figure out which character you want to be, which one you enjoy being, which one is going to help you meet your goals. That's been my experience, anyways. Yeah, a lot of the successful people we've come across view it that way as as a team. So anyone that they're working at working with, whether it be inside their company or the external people that they work with, like a title escrow. Um, and other contractors that and vendors that they work with, they view them all as a team. Um, I kind of wanted to take a minute to talk back about our um, experience working together, Dave, when you and I were at uh, our corporate gig, which is where we met all those years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was interesting because you and I, we worked in this, we had the same title, but our two roles at the company were very different. Um, you know, I was with the headset in the cubicle you know, pounding the phones and you were, like you said, out on the road and, you know, uh, sitting down with homeowners and borrowers and trying to help them through their difficult situations. Mm -hmm. I think what, what strikes me about that and why it's important, why I wanted to, to bring it up is, um, you know, even if you're in a corporate gig, you can still within the corporation kind of design it to fit what you're looking for. You know, mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, some people are going to go out and be the boss. Other people, um, a corporate gig is a, a better fit for them and how can they make that corporate gig customized to what they want to get out of life and what they want to get out of their work. Mm -hmm. So I was curious how you, how you approach that, um, with having the same title as me yet, yeah, you're out there kind of doing what you want to do out on the road. How did you set that up? How'd you negotiate that? Well, I just want to preface it by saying that some corporate structures don't allow for a lot of creativity or position creation. Sure. Um, you know, it's really a, you got to be here for so many months or so many years, or you got to hit these, you know, production things to be considered for your promotion or whatever. You got to know the boss. Um, I was not happy working at that company after about six months. And I felt like I was probably 
one of the more skilled people at that company because I was doing uh, something very similar to that company, uh, not servicing loans, um, but pursuing distressed real estate for investment. And I had so much face time with people who are in foreclosure or bankruptcy or divorce or something uh, just by knocking on their door, you know. Uh, this was pre-Skip Trace. This was pre, you know, cell phones had just come out, or I got my first cell phone that year. And uh, so I was beating on doors. I was beating on doors like six days a week. You know, I, I bought a house on Christmas one time. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah, so it, um, so what I saw was a real disconnect with talking to people nationwide who were going through difficulties and had defaults on their home loans uh, from a remote office in Orange County. You so easily bullshitted. Uh, the stories didn't line up, uh, and you know I, I saw that right away. I was like, we need to get somebody out in the field. We need somebody to look in these people's eyes and talk to them, see what's going on. We need to look at their real estate and see what it is because we really have no idea. So you identified that they kind of the company was missing that personal touch. Well, they were missing. They were missing a critical part of the analysis. I mean, on a spreadsheet, the house is worth 500000 right? But you go see it, and it turns out to be burned down. <laughs> there's black mold in the kitchen. Or there's, you know, 25 people living there. Or it's got squatters in it. It's like, oh, wow, uh, this is not worth 500000 It's worth 300000 What do you want to do? Like, why keep spending time on something you really don't know what it is? So, like, um, with real estate particularly, I always start with information. Let's gather as much information as possible. Let's get title reports. Let's get some valuations. Let's get some eyes on the ground. Let's figure out what the attitudes of the occupants are. Get as much information as possible so you can um, figure out how you can best approach the people or deal with the, the home itself. So I saw that this was missing and uh, you know I was always really quite personable and good at the door and um, I ultimately quit and I got a call back from one of the executives at the company and he said, Hey, we don't want to see you quit. Why are you quitting? I said, you know, I don't like this. Uh, and I told him some specifics, but I, I learned in my very first job from, uh, from my boss, Bob, he said, never bring a problem without bringing a solution. And so the executive who sat me down after hours, he said, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'll tell you what you're missing. And I've been preaching this to the guy, my manager, for the last six months, is you need to get somebody in a plane and traveling around and seeing all these properties and figuring out what's really going on with the people. You know, So I created a job for myself. And at that point in my life, I, I needed a job, or at least I needed some income. And um, I knew I wasn't going to sit in that office. So lucky for me, I talked him into building a little team around me to support all the office stuff and the travel stuff. And then I just went on the road for almost three years. And all you had to do was quit <laughs> to, to get to get that offer. So, you know, I think um, I think that's really cool what you were able to do. I remember being a little envious at the time. And, you know, is, is what what would you say specifically to people who are kind of like feeling a little constricted like you did and maybe feeling like I do want to kind of quit this unless I can create some change here. How would you recommend that someone approach that without having to actually, uh, you know, put in their resignation? Well, quitting is scary, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially when yeah. you're paycheck to paycheck. Quitting is scary. And if the economy sucks, it's even scarier. 
Um, but I, at the same time, like the other side of that coin is if you want new opportunity, you've got to be available. So, um, so you know, sometimes you got to let go of things to make room for new possibilities. And I know that's a little bit, um, you know, airy fairy, but I found it to be quite true in my life. Um, so you can take a leap of faith and believe in yourself and get after it. You know, don't sit on your ass every week watching Netflix. Like, okay, I need to get a job and I need to get a job in the next 30 days. What can I do? And, uh, you know, that can play out in a number of ways. Um, if you can find, if you can find something within the organization you're not happy at that might satisfy you, might make you feel um, the way you want to feel about your job or offer you the rewards that you're seeking from your energy you're putting into that company. Um, talk to people, you know, just talk to the bosses. And if these bosses, and I run into this too, and I've had lots of friends come to me and tell me like, yeah, I, 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 I'm in the wrong role. I should be in that role. Have you talked to your boss? I have, they're not hearing me. Okay, well, that's your answer. You can stay where you are and be miserable tomorrow, or you can roll the dice and go, go change your life. I mean, ultimately that's really what it comes down to. And it takes a lot of courage. You know, it's easy to talk about, but it takes a tremendous amount of courage uh, to step into things that are new. Yeah, I think that's one of the probably top questions I get from um, friends who know what I do. Um, and even some of our um, listeners, they say, I'm in a job. I have some responsibilities uh, financially. Um, how do I manage this transition from my nine to five to wanting to do my own thing? Um, what advice would you give those people to manage the transition when there is some responsibility? You know, they're not fresh out of college and don't, you know, have much uh, responsibility financially. I hesitate to just make a blanket statement because there are people who want that that have two kids at home and they're a single mom and there's just no time. Right. And so, so they're working at the Marriott or whatever it is. And uh, that's, that's probably where they're stuck for a while. I, I don't know. For the people that do have, you know, say a little bit of extra time or or um, side things, uh, you know, I think the statement of it does take a lot of courage. I, you know, I totally agree with because it was it was super hard for me to to take that step away. But uh, you know, I also had a lot less responsibility at the time. Um, but you know, I was just talking to a few a few people just yesterday, and, and they're like, "Yeah, I really want to go do my own thing." but I'm really struggling with how to manage that with paying my current bills and supporting my family. I think it's a, it's a big, I think there's two things that can be really helpful and I'm kind of repeating myself with know your values. You know, if you know that you want to have 5,000 bucks of rental income every month, you know, figure out what that looks like and then start working backwards. And the other practical piece of this is look at your schedule, see how much time you have in it. Like I think most people take for granted the amount of time they have. Granted, some people do need to sleep for 10 hours a day, but a lot of my highly successful friends are sleeping for four or five hours a day. And I'm not saying throw yourself into that right away, but like, uh, what's more important, uh, going to the gym twice a day, three hours a day, or maybe going to the gym an hour or an hour and a half in the morning and then spending an hour and a half reading a book on whatever your interest is. Or uh, picking up a, a good friend of mine, he's a jet mechanic. Uh, he had, he wanted to have more income and he wanted to do it in the ski and snowboarding industry. So for one ski season, he went, he worked at a, a mountain shop and he learned everything about running a mountain shop, a ski business. And, uh, 
I was kind of sad because I lost my friend on the weekends. I lost my whitewater kayaking buddy. Uh, but he did something with it. You know, he turned it into business. So, I mean, look at your schedule and figure out what's a priority. I mean, it's not that hard to put your mind on autopilot with eating three times a day and getting in some exercise and getting sleep. Just figure it out. If it's important to you, you'll, you'll make it happen. You know, it's that whole, um, what's more important, the why or the how, right? The why. The how you'll figure out. That's great. Uh, tr transition a little bit here um, into investments. I think one of the way that a lot of people um, have found their independence financially is through smart investing. Um, for the people looking at starting out, you know, building their investments, what's the low hanging fruit that you think would be best for them to start with? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I do have some kind of invest investment advice, though, just in general terms. Great. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'd say like the number one thing. The first thing that I learned, and I invested in the stock market when I was 21 years old and lost everything in two years. There's just nothing there. Uh, don't invest in something you don't fully understand or you don't have control over. That's my rule, first one. Um, I got some advice from an 88-year-old neighbor of mine a few years ago who was really successful. And he said the best advice he ever got, he crashed and burned in his 40s and then rebuilt his wealth, was never invest more than half your liquid assets. I thought that was really practical. So that means keep 50% liquid at all times? Yeah, if you got a million bucks, play with $500,000 max and keep that, you know. You can, you can rebuild, but you don't want to put yourself, especially as you get older, in a situation where you're not going to be able to make that money back or it's going to be extremely hard. Yeah, I'm sure that percentage can probably shift over time. As you're younger, maybe the, the percentage of... Yeah, maybe, yeah. Your liquid is maybe higher, and then as you get older, maybe maybe kind of rebalance. Yeah, yeah. I think when you're younger, you're willing to take more risks because you have less to lose. Yeah. And you got more time in front of you. Um, I would also just like real practical uh, financial wisdom is like appreciate the value of compounding money. Like save. Save regularly. Get in the habit of it. Just like you get in the habit of going for a run or whatever, going to church, like get in a habit of saving. If it's 5% of what you take home every month, cool, it's 5%. If it's a hundred bucks, cool. Maybe in 10 years, it'll be a thousand bucks. So uh, the, the power of compounding money, even if it's in a bond or some safe investment, you know, put it away. Because one day when you're getting old, like we are, you know, you don't want to be doing this in 20 years, right. or 30 years. You're like, you know, I want to be doing what I want to do a hundred percent of the time. Um, and I would say don't rush into investments. The investments, and I'm talking real estate now, that there was a rush, there was an urgency to do. Those were the ones, and I had three of them that bit me in the ass. So uh, don't rush into things. Make sure it feels right. Like really check in. Get out of your get out of your busy mind that's just crunching numbers, and just take a breath. You know, you got to buy it, and you're feeling like, uh. God, I got to make a decision. No, go to bed. Go relax. Go for a hike. Go smoke a joint. Do whatever it is that gets you back to your baseline. I know what's going on in my life. Does this fit into that? David, while we have you here today, I, I feel like we got to share this one in a million story that, uh, that we have together all those years ago. I uh, took my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, down to Costa Rica for a little week-long trip. We check into our little hotel. We throw our bags in the room. We walk down to the, they had a little restaurant bar on the beach. Her and I sit down and it's just a perfect, beautiful, gorgeous day. All of a sudden I hear someone 
yelling my name and I'm in on a beach in Costa Rica thinking who, <laughs> who could possibly be yelling my name? I turn over, I look around and it's David Tift. He comes walking up to me on this beach and it, it completely blew me away. You know, you have a few of these things that happen throughout your life that are truly one in a million. And he and I were kind of acquaintances that had worked together at the time. And then when that happened, it just really cemented the friendship. And uh, we spent, I think, a few days during that over the course of that week together, getting to know him and his girlfriend at the time. And and we had a blast and, and have been great friends ever since. So um, I did just want to share that. And it's interesting, you know, people that you work with um, becoming lifelong friends as you and I have become. So very serendipitous. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that uh that week and running into you. And I might mention that it wasn't some, you know, we weren't anywhere close to a city. We were like rural Costa Rica on the Pacific side where you had to take a ferry boat and then get a bus on a gravel road, a dirt road. And it was a small little middle of nowhere town. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> it was the middle of nowhere. I love that. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the podcast that we wish that we had when we were starting out in business giving these valuable pieces of insight from interesting people with inspiring stories who have done what we wanted to do back in the day. So we super appreciate you giving your insight on such an important piece of uh, people finding their freedom financially with real estate and um, congrats on the success. Thanks so much for joining us, David. Thank you guys. Nice to see you. Thank you, David. Appreciate you. Thank you, David. That was awesome.